One police officer is injured tonight and multiple young people are in custody after a large group of teenagers disrupted the city. We know that 40 people were arrested and some of them as young as 12 years old were hit with misdemeanors for reckless conduct. A 15 year old was arrested for having a gun with a silencer on it. It's estimated that between 300 to 400 teens showed up. This is the scene that unfolded just after 10 o'clock last night. Hundreds of teens took to the street shutting down Belmont for hours. And perhaps didn't realize how dangerous this, in fact, was. But when you listen to what they, how they describe what happened, clearly this could have gotten out of control. It was, there was so many people. We were throwing, like, they, they have hoses. They were throwing water bottles. They were throwing tables, like, like boards. There's no excuse, obviously, for what happened. But, you know, stuff like that just happens all the time. What accounts for the surge in mobs of teens taking over major cities all around America? Well, let's get real in major blue cities all around America. Might it have something to do with the defund the police movement making cops less available to create consequences for kids who obviously do not have those consequences in the home? Might it be full-grown adults who took the summer of 2020 to use George Floyd as an excuse to show young kids what it means to be a lowlife? But maybe I'm wrong. And maybe this woman is right. Black women, when we do the same diets as white women, we lose less weight and we lose it slower. The racism that you're experiencing and the struggle to make ends meet actually means the diet don't work for you the same. So wait, you mean it wasn't the Twinkies that made her fat? No, it's white people. It's racism. Damn you, Barbie. Do you guys ever think about dying? But not so fast. Let's hear her big, rather large claims about fatness because there may be some truth to what she just fed. I mean, what she just said, albeit very little. I'm very prepared to believe that black women have elevated stress levels compared to their white counterparts. But couldn't that be because of the way black women have largely, and in Lizzo's case, really largely chosen to live their lives? When black communities have a single parent rate above 70% and over 86% of those families are led by a woman without a man anywhere in the picture, you should expect higher stress levels which impact physical health. Without a man in the home, women don't have the benefit of two incomes. They have a baby daddy instead of a man to help them with the home and kids that need fatherly discipline that they'll never get. Black women could take responsibility for the state of their family rather than blame white people, but white liberals have done their best to help shift the blame. So blame Jim Crow and slavery if you want to, but the real way to fix this problem is to take responsibility. Otherwise, the cycle continues. Adult black men will go their whole lives without the help of a dad and then make children they have no intention of raising because they didn't have manhood modeled for them which produces another generation of young black boys who do not have fathers who will go on to knock up girls and make kids that will not have fathers and so on and so on remember when barack obama was brave enough to state this obvious fact in a speech he gave on father's day but if we're honest with ourselves we'll admit that too many fathers are also missing mm -hmm. missing from too many lives and too many homes They've abandoned their responsibilities. They're acting like boys instead of men. Mm -hmm. You and I know this is true everywhere, but nowhere is it more true than in the African-American community. 
Obama has spoken no truer words. Well, that is, except that one time when he talked about Joe Biden and said, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. The breakdown of the nuclear family is certainly not just a black problem. It just so happens to be the most pronounced example of the fatherlessness crisis we have in America. The only thing that can stop that cycle is good dads. And that's what we'll talk about today on Indie Thinker. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and to check out today's show's sponsor. Our friends over at Element Home Loans can help you get into a great new home. Now, it may not be the best time in the world to buy a home based upon where you're living, especially if you're in a red state, because people are fleeing blue cities, as we talked about at the show opener, and moving to red cities, and it makes the real estate market a little bit slim, perhaps, where you are. Regardless of the interest rate or how easy it is to find a home. The one thing I do know is this, is that if you need a home and you don't want to pay 100% interest on renting a home, then you need to find an expert who can truly help you come up with creative solutions and even help you come up with financial solutions that can help you save a ton of money. And our friends over at Element Home Loans can help you do that and so much more. And besides, don't you want to support businesses who care about the things you support? Now, if you want to do that, then you need to go to our friends over at the Kevin Blair team with Element Home Loans. And you can do that by going to kbmtg.com. Now, by doing that, not only can you get pre-qualified for a home, not only can you get great customer service, but you will find that the Element Home Loans team can give you some amazing programs that will even help you refinance in the future. So yeah, interest rates are bad now, but they won't always be this way. So get secured in a home and secure your family's financial future by doing so. And you can do that by going to kbmtg.com. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. If there is anything that can move this dry, parched desert of a heart, it is a story about a father and his son. Whenever that's done in film, it absolutely gets me it gets me motivated and it gets me moving and it gets me thinking. And perhaps you're the same way. At this point in my life, one of the things that really, really motivates me is making sure that I raise good boys. And as a father of two young men, I want to make sure I'm doing a fantastic job of that. Now, that's why I'm going to link in the description of the podcast today a short film that a friend of mine just did that talks about kind of how grief and guilt can hit us um, and how we process it as individuals, especially if you're a dad with a son. And so my friend who has experienced this in his life uh, did a short film that I think is is worth your time. So again, I'll put a link to, to that film down in the description of this podcast. But it also sets the stage for what I'm about to show you because just fair warning, I'm about to show you a clip of a young boy that is going to break your heart. Now, this young boy probably is around six to, I'd say, eight years old because I have kids that are around his same age group. And I know that at this stage of life, you know, prior to it, you were not really piecing together the world. You were just kind of doing as you're told and kind of going through life as your parents dictate. But once you start getting to to six and to seven, especially eight and nine, you're starting to develop a worldview and starting to piece together independently the world and understand it in a way that is fundamental to the rest of your life. And so I'm about to show you a clip of a young boy that doesn't have a father that, fair warning again, will totally break your heart, but it's important to talk about. So here's that. What'd you say? Do I have a dad? Why do you ask that? I don't know, but do I have one? Of course you do. What's his name again? 
His name is Tyrell. Tyrell? Mm-hmm. Mom, does he know I'm really, really smart or does he not? Um, I don't think he knows. Why? When ever since I tell him I'm really good. What do you mean? Tyrell. What about? Like, if I tell him I'm really good, he will trust us, I think. It's like, um, it's not about that. Sometimes adults, even though they're big people, like, even though they're adults, they don't, um, do the right thing all the time. And so some dads don't do the right thing, and some moms don't do the right thing, but you're fucking amazing. Oh, like and some... as long as I'm doing the right thing, I'm gonna come to all your games, and I'm gonna go to all your school stuff, and all of that. Yeah, but I'm gonna... some people... Only have a dad, and some people only have a mom, but some people only have a dad and mom. Now, if it doesn't break your heart to see a young boy processing the absence of his father in his life, I don't know what will get to you. Unfortunately, this is a far too common. Uh, occurrence in our society today where America stands alone with the highest single parenthood rate in the world. So the worldwide average for single parent homes is around 7%. So China has something like 4%. India has something like 5% against single parent homes. And of course, you can guess that most of those homes are led by women. But America, because we have goals, has a single parenthood rate of about 23%. So crushing the worldwide average by three times that number. So 23% of kids are growing up with just one parent in the home in America. And of course, if you break that down demographically, some of those numbers are just absolutely staggering. And it's something that we better pay attention to, or we will recognize that one of the fundamental building blocks of society are eroding right underneath our feet. And if we don't have a foundation to stand on anymore, let it not be a surprise to you, because the family is definitely one of those important building blocks that without which we see what we're starting to see in major cities all around America, where a bunch of teenage kids who obviously don't have consequences in their home, most likely because they don't have a father in their home, are going to go do all sorts of horrible acts of criminality uh, in these major cities, like I said, as we've as we've seen just re recently in New York and in Chicago. Now, what we see right in front of us are the repercussions, the consequences of this kind of fatherlessness. Young boys who are at a young age processing the absence of a father in their home, who even if they don't know it, are probably experiencing a kind of emotional trauma that can only happen in a first world that has become so prosperous that it wants to cut off its nose to spite its face, where we think that a mother is an adequate replacement for a mother and a father in a home. And of course, we know that's not true, and it's right before our very eyes. And so I just want to say a couple of things about what we just saw. And the first thing is this, is that if we're going to be honest about the occurrence of this young black boy and recognize that this is a true epidemic in our country that needs to be solved, then we're going to have to speak to men and help men understand their need to be role models in the home and to actually stick around and parent their kids. To remind them that it is not a good, adequate substitute to let their mother raise them and then you show up every once in a while. 
it probably will come as no surprise to you that the statistics that we have for fatherlessness, whether it be in the black community or in the white community, really do not tell the full story. Because when we talk about fatherlessness, we're actually talking about fathers that are absent from the home, by and large. Uh, but we're not talking about fathers that are actually around that are absentee fathers. So they may be around, but they're not really fathers producing men and helping them become the men that they need to be. And the result is small boys are left, like this young man, to try to put the pieces together without their father helping them understand what it truly means to become a good man. So in every way, you could say that the fatherlessness crisis in America is a manhood crisis. I can't help but wonder if the feminist movement has allowed men the necessary kind of mens rea, if you will, or the necessary excuse to alleviate themselves of the responsibility of raising children. Men that are not good men will listen to the feminist cry of the fact that men are basically unnecessary and women can be men and there is no real difference between between genders, between a man and a woman, and a, a woman can do everything a man can do, or the, you know, the feminist nostrum that uh, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, that kind of nonsense, has been given to enough very weak-willed beta men that they listen to it and then leave the women to raise these kids. And then is it no surprise that we have not only a fatherlessness crisis, but a continuing rise in juvenile crime and a continual rise in kids who don't understand purpose and meaning and are struggling in this world like this young boy who is crying out for a real man. So I do blame men largely for listening to feminists and allowing that to be an excuse for their irresponsibility. But if I'm going to be really honest here, we have to make sure that we don't just look to men and realize that there's a crisis of manhood going on in the present, but that we also understand that some aspects of the crisis of manhood, as I already explained, through the feminist movement, uh, some aspect of this has been because women have been continually walking around with the prideful notion that they do not need a man. So there is a large portion of women who are to blame for the fatherlessness crisis in America. Now, I'll replay an aspect of this video that I hope you didn't miss toward the end of it, where in this clip, you'll see why sometimes classless women are creating a scenario where men are being classlessly brought into a scenario where they're raising children. So classless women meeting classless men, raising kids is a horrible way to raise a kid. So again, watch the end of this clip and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But you're fucking amazing. So I hope you didn't miss it. We have to acknowledge that a woman has a role to play in the relationship as well. And if you're not going to be a classy woman, you're not going to attract classy men who stick around and take care of their kids. This mother who cusses at her child at the end of this clip is absolutely reprehensible. But I'm going to be really honest with you here and tell you that if you've been walking around in your city and maybe you've seen a single mom, and especially this is true of black single mothers with their small children, they have no compunction about cussing directly in front of their kids. Now, this is not only going to create a generation of kids who have no understanding of the English language, it's going to create a generation of kids who have no conscience and who do not care about presenting themselves in a way that is, that is meaningful and purposeful in society.
And again, this is something that you are no stranger to if you've seen a single mother with her kids before, quite possibly because they're incredibly stressed out. Look, I get it, but it's no excuse. If you are going to be a classless woman, do not expect that you will attract a classy man. Now, I've said this before in the show before too. Start making faith a central aspect of your life. Start making morality an important you know, pursuit of your, of your personal life. And strangely, you'll find yourself attracting good quality men around you. And then you might actually have fathers to help you raise your kids. Until then, we're stuck in this perpetual cycle of women stuck with children that they have no intention of trying to raise responsibly because they didn't have the kind of responsibility in the first place to attract the right kind of man to raise their kid. And so if we're going to be really, really serious about the fatherlessness crisis in America, we also need to be serious about the classless woman crisis that we're having in America today, too. And just as a side note, hopefully it's already been illustrated, stop cussing in front of your kids. Be a good person. Now, there are other forces that we can look to, although we need not blame them, but it's important to at least acknowledge them and recognize that there are things in the ecosphere today that are causing us to misunderstand what it actually means to be a good, responsible adult. And we have no further to look than the media and the way that they are complicit in warping reality right in front of our face. Again, I want to be really clear that this is no adequate excuse to displace your personal responsibility, but it is also a willful acknowledgement that when we have the media being a horrible example, especially for young people, and just lying to our face consistently, no wonder that we wonder what it actually means to be a good person anymore. And we can see this in a story again about Sound of Freedom, the movie that was made by Angel Studios, which is a, um, I'll put in air quotes, um, a Christian company, uh, because it's probably more adequately classified as a Mormon company. But nonetheless, uh, Sound of uh, Angel Studios, the home of The Chosen, is also the home of the groundbreaking and record-breaking film Sound of Freedom that has now exceeded 10 times its original budget in gross at the box office. Now, Sound of Freedom has not just been a summer blockbuster. It's not just a movie about... Uh, a very important subject that we need to talk about more, but it has also been the scrutiny of the media. And yet again, here they are, obscuring reality for us with this headline. Quote, Sound of Freedom funder Fabian Marta arrested for child kidnapping. Now, of course, we all know the implication here. It's that Angel Studios is allowing people to fund this film that actually traffic children themselves. And what's really going on with this movie? Isn't this just a disgusting campaign to continually attack this movie, and for odd reasons. It's very interesting to me that I have never seen a movie quite attacked like this in the media before, and it can't help but disorient you a little bit and make you question as to why this is happening. Is it possible that perhaps there are pedophiles in the media who want to change what sexual mores look like, and that's why they're attacking this film? 
I, I know a few other excuses for why the film critics want to consistently attack Jim Caviezel as a QAnon-adjacent individual and the person that the story is actually about, Tim Ballard, and call him somebody who obfuscates the real story and doesn't really um, hold his uh, OUR or the Operation Underground Railroad with the greatest of stewardship. And there have been endless attacks about this movie and all character attacks rather than actually talking about the movie itself and the story found in the movie. Why the endless attack, in other words? It makes one wonder. But the dishonesty doesn't stop there. The implication that this is one of the funders of the film is technically true, but not really. This was a crowdfunded film, and this man gave something like $501, and he's credited in the film because he gave that amount of money. So the fact that, yes, Angel Studios took a $500 donation from a uh, from an independent citizen means absolutely nothing. But the dishonesty doesn't stop there either. Because if you want to go just a little bit further, let's go into the article, and I'll tell you about this man, Fabian Marta, and what he's actually accused of. Going further in this Newsweek article, it says, One of thousands of patrons of the crowdfunded anti-child trafficking film Sound of Freedom was recently arrested and charged for child kidnapping, according to a court filing and social media post. Fabian Marta was charged with felony child kidnapping in July, while since removed, Facebook posts appear to show the same person revealing their pride in funding the film. Marta's name appears in the movie's credits among the investors who helped bring Sound of Freedom to theaters. His bail was set at 15000 but he was released on personal recognizance following an initial appearance on July 24th. The nature of the incident the criminal case relates to is not clear. Well, I'm about to clear it up for you in just a second. Newsweek approached both Stephen Capizzi, the Missouri state attorney prosecuting the case, and Angel Studios via email for comment on Friday. Well... I approached Newsweek and asked them why they have a bunch of bozos working for them because Deadline had a much different take on this story and actually provided some substantive narrative that helps us understand what's really going on here. And they said this, quote, There was a lot of noise surrounding the Red State beloved 163 million grossing summer surprise hit Sound of Freedom. This morning, with Newsweek reporting that one of the pick's 6,678 crowdfunders was arrested for child kidnapping by the St. Louis Metropolitan Police. Now, just to be clear, we're talking about one person who contributed an unidentified amount of money to the 5 million PNA crowdfunding campaign together by Angel Studios. The person charged 51-year-old Fabian Marta of Chesterfield, Missouri on July 23rd was not a financer of the actual feature production. Important info. Deadline confirmed the arrest with St. Louis Metropolitan Police per case number 232. Note, child kidnapping and sex trafficking, the latter subject which Sound of Freedom focuses on, are two different types of crimes. Deadline reached out to the attorney of Marta Scott Rosenblum of Rosenblum, Schwartz, and Fry in St. Louis, who calls the criminal charges against his client unfounded. Now, here is why. Quote, I don't understand how they're charging him with this, Rosenblum told Deadline. He has nothing to do with the kidnapping of anyone. Marta is a landlord to a woman who was involved in a custody dispute with her aunt. Marta was allegedly living providing living arrangements to said woman and her child, the former who was involved in rehabbing the rental property. Wait, what? 
So the guy is just a landlord to the person who is actually accused of kidnapping and somehow Marta was accused of kidnapping? So you mean he actually didn't do anything? See, this is nothing less than a reminder to us that the unholy trinity of politicians creating hardships that the media has no intention of being honest about will then blame those hardships on the wrong person that then creates an uninformed citizenry that is upset and disenfranchised and disillusioned which seems to go back to benefit our political class who oddly wants to come up with a solution for the problems that they caused. In other words, for our political class, chaos and misfortune and difficulty is an opportunity for them to implement more more programs that will put more power in their hands. And as long as the media is running interference for them, we can expect that we will have an uninformed public that will continually point the finger at the wrong people because the media is leading them to do so. If there is a deep state, all conspiracy theories aside, it sure seems to be a political class in collaboration with our media to tell a narrative that do not represent the actual facts on the ground. And this, to say the least, is disorienting for people. But one can't help but realize that the reason the media lies is because it's effective. People will continue to listen to MSNBC, continue to listen to Reverend Al Sharpton, and believe that they're actually hearing a version of the truth simply because they have the veneer of trustability because they're on a major network. By now, I hope you understand. New media is the prerequisite of a person with a conscience. You cannot trust what these people are saying anymore. They don't trust you. They don't trust you to be able to parse information. That's why they have fact checkers, and that's why they constantly want to talk about misinformation, because they want to identify misinformation for you because they don't believe you can do it yourself. Now, the problem with that is that if they don't trust you, why should you trust them? And by now, I hope you know you shouldn't. And one last thing about this. I just think that People in the media who have proven time and time again that they have a double standard when it comes to Christianity absolutely are bigots, but they're just religious bigots. And of course, they're quick to call everybody else Islamophobic, homophobic, anti-Semitic, um, and whatever phobia you want to place upon people, claustrophobic, arachnophobic, and whatever, agoraphobic. They're quick to do that, but not quick to take responsibility for their own hatred toward Christianity. I don't want to suggest simply that there's a large group of pedophiles in the mainstream media. However, that certainly may be the truth. What's way more likely, though, is that there is a group of people who are secular, dogmatic secular morons, frankly, and they consistently want to try to attack Christianity. So when they see a film that was funded by a bunch of Christians, they will do whatever they can to try to attack it because they absolutely hate Christianity. Now, if I were you, I would pay very close attention to that, even if you're not a Christian. I would pay very close attention to that because if they view Christianity as a threat, you should ask yourself, why? And maybe it's because Christians, whether you trust their conclusions or not, at least claim to believe in objective truth and believe that the truth should win out at the end of the day. Now, a group of people who actually believe that the truth matters more than our feelings are people who are a benefit to society, especially when you find a group of people like those in the media who want to obfuscate and want to twist and distort the truth. So is it any wonder that when they find a community of people that represent the majority who want to tell the truth at least as far as they can tell it, is it any wonder that they want to marginalize and 
and get rid of those people as quickly as they possibly can. They can't allow for a movie studio, in other words, to actually become a prominent force in the culture. Because they know that as long as they control the media, they will control the hearts and minds of people. And Christians, more and more, are starting to whittle their way into that space, and they will stop at nothing to keep that from happening. And again, you don't have to take my conclusion that Christians promote objective truth, and the media does not want you to believe in that because they are postmodern neo-Marxist, but you do have to ask yourself why. And the closer you get to the truth, to the answer to that question, I think the closer you'll get to actually thinking that Christianity may offer something valuable to society that we desperately need. And we'll talk about that more in our final segment, Bible Study with Democrats. Oh, God of pronouns. Just recently, I started rereading Study of God. And for those of you who don't know, this is a book by St. Augustine. And in the book, he kind of has two parts. He has the city of man and the city of God. And of course, the book starts with the city of man. And at his time, this is Rome. And during Augustine's time, he's battling and dealing with kind of the moral implications of the sack of Rome by the Visigoths. Many people apparently at his time wanted to blame the sack of Rome upon the rejection of the old gods of Rome and the acceptance of the new god Christ of the Christians. So many people at the time were saying, because we've rejected our old gods, uh, they're punishing us now, and they allowed the Visigoths to come in and destroy and sack Rome. Now, it cost the lives of some 300,000 people, and so it was a very devastating time. And so as people are trying to put the pieces together, many of them were coming up with the wrong conclusion. Then St. Augustine comes along to write this book to say, hey, it's not because we rejected the gods of Rome. Um, And he gives many examples for this, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey among them, to try to show how uh, very often the gods were no kind of, you know, protection against uh, past past difficulties, especially in a place like Troy. But, But he goes on to just say this, that it has nothing to do with the old gods. It has to do with the rejection of this new god, the god of of Christianity and and the paganism that's still inundating society might be more to blame, actually, than the fact that you've rejected these false gods. Suffice to say, it's an incredible argument, and it's a very important historical book that I would highly encourage you to read. But ultimately, from the very first part of this book, what you get is St. Augustine telling us that it's vitally important that we do not blame the wrong person or the wrong thing, which brings us to what the Archbishop of York just recently did when he made a public statement where he told his congregation and others that the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, is problematic for some people. He'll go on in this Christian Post article to say this, quote, the Archbishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, has suggested that the word Father in the Lord's Prayer can be distressing for some individuals, bless their heart, particularly victims of abuse or those who've suffered under oppressive patriarchy. Cottrell's comments have drawn the ire of some Christians who view his comments as a direct rebuke of Jesus Christ. Now, I I don't want a straw man here, so I want to be as careful to say the following as I possibly can. Ultimately, it seems as though, if I am very charitable, that the Archbishop of York is just simply saying this. There are people who have had past experiences that are not good when they associate their relationship with a father. They could associate that with God, and then that can give them a negative impression of God. Now, while that is true, even if we give him that charitable understanding, the problem that he's creating here is not the solution. And let me first 
start that with a with a question. Who has suffered under oppressive patriarchy? I mean, really, just because you had a bad father doesn't mean you've suffered under oppressive patriarchy. The, the, the very first point here I want to I try to illustrate is that the archbishop is using language not based in scripture, but more found in second and third wave feminism here. Oppressive patriarchy, as it were, is a term that you can find in their literature when they're talking about standpoint epistemology. And they're the ones who want to, quote, problematize everything. So whenever you hear somebody coming up with things that are problematic, in the scripture, you should be very weary. And this is part of the problem that we have an archbishop who is using feminism to help him interpret scripture rather than scripture interpreting scripture, which is really the big problem here at the end of the day, is that the archbishop is not only using a a non-biblical lens to approach interpreting scripture, he's also, in a sense, excusing other people doing the very same thing. Now, here's what I mean by that, and this is an incredibly important point, is that instead of the archbishop saying, your understanding of a father is what's problematic, and you don't need to import that into the text. In other words, you're practicing eisegesis, not exegesis. You're reading your interpretation into the scripture rather than reading from the scripture what's actually said. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't blame people's interpretation or people's feelings or people's emotions on their interpretation of scripture. Rather, he says that it's important for us to understand when we preach about the Our Father that that we're very careful. Now, here's my real problem with that, is that ultimately the policy prescriptions that follow this kind of thinking are always progressive and non-Christian, which could be synonymous with progressive Christian. So the policies don't match the diagnosis. Now, this is true on the left, largely today in America, when we talk about wokeism, for example. So when we talk about wokeism, there are many on the left who either want to be deceptive or are just ignorant about the kind of policy prescriptions that are associated with wokeism. Because there are some people who will say, well, wokeism just means that you care about justice and just means that you are willing to acknowledge the fact that there are people who are disproportionately affected in society because of systems and because of programs that have nothing to do with personal responsibility. Now, that's a definition for wokeism that is very broad and that many people will accept. However, the problem with that is that the policy prescriptions of the left to that, that are woke don't actually match that definition. Because if we're willing to acknowledge that there may be somebody who outside of their own decision making is being impacted by a policy or an idea, then how in the world does it solve that problem to have segregated graduations at Columbia? When we hear people honest enough in the woke, scold kind of community to tell us that the only way to solve past, you know, um, past discrimination is present discrimination, we wonder to ourselves, well, does that really help people who are disproportionately affected by, uh, by a program or by a system in America outside of their own decision making? We need present discrimination. And then we go even further down the woke kind of policy uh, litany of ideas. We think, how in the world does it actually help people if they're dealing with a system that's oppressed them outside of their own decision-making to butcher and mutilate a small child who thinks that they are the opposite gender of what they were actually born? Even if you say, well, we're not mutilating, mutilating nine-year-olds, still, giving them cross-sex hormones and hormone suppressants that actually permanently impact their 
skeletal structure is hardly anything that addresses the a system that might disproportionately affect somebody outside of their own decision making. So once again, the idea is is that the diagnosis doesn't match the prescription. So in other words, the prescription should be in this instance here that we should quit reading our interpretation of what a father is into the text and actually understand who God is as a father. But this is often the problem with the kind of things we hear from the archbishop is that, yeah, sure, we might be able to accept and willing to admit that people have a bad understanding of what a father is and they can import that into the text. But the prescription, therefore, is to quit doing that, to quit letting your emotions dictate how you read the Bible. But very often people like the Archbishop of York will do things like this. They will institute policies and prescriptions that say, well, rather than saying our father, we need to be a little bit more careful and maybe we just need to say our person or our parent in heaven rather than our father. Or progressive Christians will go even further instead of saying, well, because oppressive patriarchy is so bad, rather than saying our father, we need to say our mother, because that will give us the impression that we really need that's way more healthy for society. So in other words, progressive policies ultimately emphasize feelings rather than objective truth. And that not only is destroying Christianity, it's destroying our society. And again, even if you're not a Christian, you should care about this because this should be a canary in the coal mine for you. Whenever the church is succumbing to leftist policy prescriptions or wokeism, you need to pay attention to it because there are very few other institutions in society that are immune to this kind of thing if the church is not immune to it. So rather than listen to the Archbishop of York and whatever policy prescription he wants to give us for the problematic Our Father uh, portion of the Lord's teaching on prayer, rather, how about this? Because we've had a society of mostly fatherless kids, here's what I want to tell you that your father should have told you a long time ago. You have a full-time job taking care of yourself, so do that and quit blaming other people. In other words, let the truth change you instead of changing the truth to accommodate your feelings. And because people like the Archbishop of York and other progressive Christians want to continually bend the truth to our emotive age that puts feeling over reason, I say this, Archbishop of York and progressive Christianity, you need Jesus. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God.